This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything you need to know about Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org, secondmissionfoundation.org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal's always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. Check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, journal.com, HavocJournal.com. My guest this week was Jared Pruitt, uh, author of the soon-to-be-released It'll Buff Out, uh, which I believe at the time I read the advanced copy, it was something like a Marine's, uh, an account of a Marine's experience in Ramadi, or so anyway, he's changing the subtitle, so I didn't commit that to memory, as you can tell. Um, but I read the book. I read the advanced copy. Um, yes, we should have done this episode probably in a couple months when the book was about to come out. Then you could all go buy it. Um, but follow Jared at Cold Steel Collective on Instagram because when it comes out, uh, you should get it. And I'm sure he'll let everybody know through there. And we certainly will um, through our channels here. But when I read the book... I was, there's no two ways about it. Jared has lived an action-filled life that is worth people knowing about. It's the, he, Jared is like the kind of guest that reminds me of why we do the show. Not like I need a lot of reminders, but you know, wh when I was talking to him, I was like, this is why we do the show. Um, not that you wouldn't hear about him through other channels or in other ways, but to be able to sit and talk with him and hear about his deployment in Ramadi, his uh, parts of his deployment to Afghanistan, again, two very, let's call it prolific combat deployments, and then to have a stroke at 30 to be currently suffering from lupus, to have dealt with you know toxic exposures and stuff like that. I mean, he's a picture of resilience and of not just persevering, but thriving and, you know, has a family, has kids, is, you know, a functional veteran that has lived through an incredibly dysfunctional set of circumstances. And to me, that is something worth um, appreciating and platforming. I think when 
you know, when so many are quick to label veterans as victims or, um, you know, kind of diminish our service through um, backhanded praise or whatever, Jared has um, struggled with writing this book. It took him years. It took him a lot of false starts, false stops. And yet he has done what, and as I, I said this to him at one point during the interview, I feel like there's echoes of how God knows how many Korean War veterans, even World War I, World War II veterans, who never wrote their stories. Jared wrote his. And it, he was in the eye of the storm on multiple occasions in two combat zones. And he had the wherewithal to take prodigious notes. And then over through all the false starts and false stops over a period of whatever it was, a decade or so or more, um, be able to turn it out into a book and actually share what he lived through in ways that his kids will be able to read, others' kids will be able to read, that will have an impact on people um, forever. I mean, isn't that the ultimate point of a veteran service? is how it's impacting everyone else, especially everyone behind you. And Jared did it. Um, talking with him, I, you just, I, you couldn't have a bigger heart for the guy. Just incredibly gracious, humble guy. Um, and so appreciated his frankness on dealing with circumstances that are, are not easy. You know, when you're talking about the toxic exposure stuff and, you know, um, you know, the stroke and, you know, just stuff like that, that makes you question your own health and, you know, not know, um, you know, how many more days you got, et cetera, et cetera. That's not easy shit for anybody to go with, to go through. And in Jared's case, um, the way that he has managed and um, thrived is, I think, something people should know about. Um, so it was a pleasure to sit and talk with him. I got a ton more I could say about this, but I really need to shut up and just get to the interview so you guys can hear from Jared himself. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Jared Pruitt's Profile in Havoc. Welcome to the show, Jared. Thank you for having me, Chris. Dude, um, I feel like this has been a long time coming. I feel like we started talking like, what was it, like two, three months ago about getting you on here? Yeah, it's been a while. Um, and uh, and it took a long time because I just, uh, in the the whole writing process and all that, I, uh, I didn't have anything ready for you to read at that time. And um, so, yeah, it just had to keep getting kind of pushed down the road. And then, um, yeah, so a long time coming, but here we are. And I mean, it was a long time for you to write the book in general. I mean, forget about me. I mean, you started writing when, when did you actually first put pen to paper? Cause I know it was several years, right. That it took for you to churn this book out. It's been, it's been a really long time. Like I, I knew there was a story to be told back when it was happening back in 2006 and 2007 in, in Ramadi, Iraq. And I started taking notes. Um, I started, I actually started trying to type it up. There's actually a really funny picture of me falling asleep with my laptop on a cot back at Hurricane Point. Wow. And then my buddy, 
my buddy Hacksaw, he takes a giant summer sausage because it's around the holidays. We got a bunch of holiday packages. So, you know, he, he does the grunt thing, makes it look like it's a, it's a, a dick in my face. So he does that while I'm sleeping. There's a nice photo of it. I gotta, yeah. I'll, I'll have to dig that up and uh, put that on Instagram here soon. But, um, but it wasn't, it was more of a kind of a way to record the journey more than actually sit down and actually write a, a book about it. That would come, uh, you know, years down the road because with, with all that stuff so fresh and I just made all the notes, you know, had some documents, some handwritten stuff, held on to that and just kept kicking that idea down the road because every time I'd try to sit down and start it, it was, it just bring back bad, bad memories. Um, a lot of, I mean, the writing was awful, as you can imagine, just a lot of anger, um, frustration and the whole cohesiveness of, of the story. Just, there was nothing there. It was just a, a war story on paper, a very poorly told war story. So, um, it wasn't until after I had a stroke in 2014, where I was like, I, uh, you know, I, I've always depended on my physical ability up until I didn't have physical ability anymore. And I had to be like, man, I, uh, I should probably give this writing thing another shot and, um, kind of develop another, another way to earn an income or some, some type of behind the desk thing, because I'm not going to be able to go out and, uh, be a, a federal security guard anymore. I'm not going to be able to go and, um, you know, cut carpet and install carpet or do any of this other carpentry stuff that I, you know, I, I still do it to this day. You know, that's my main source of income, but, um, I had to go and, and really look and be like, Hey, like, I'm not going to be able to do this forever. You know, I, I've had a stroke. I have lupus. Um, I do what I can. I manage it, but I know in, you know, what, what's it going to look in another five to 10 years, 15 years. Um, I, I want to save my body for some kind of like retirement and be able to, you know, God willing, enjoy the grandkids. And one day I have, I have yeah. a boy and a girl. Um, so it, it's just stuff like that, that got me back into like, Hey, like there's this story. I, I, I need to tell it. I know it's going to be able to help people. Not only that, it's, um, I want to memorialize all the guys who didn't come back. And the, the story of Ramadi is incredible. The battle yeah. of Ramadi. I mean, it was yeah. deemed hopeless by all of these like leaked documents from, from the Pentagon around 2006, like right around the time we were deploying over there in September, we get like all this, these documents saying like, you, you know, basically you're going into a hopeless situation. Um, Ramadi is lost. Like that, that was us going into it. Yeah. And then getting there, it was, yeah, we're like, <laughs> they were a hundred percent. Right. Um, you know, hundreds of firefights a week and just a crazy chaotic kinetic deployment. That was, I mean, just from the, within six hours of being at our first outpost, it was, it was game on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just, just wild stuff. And then to yeah. see it go from that to, you know, the, the short story of it is all those firefights, hundreds of them a week in the beginning for like six months. And then we're, we're there for nine months total. And the last 30 days we we're there, not a single shot was fired in the city. So to go from at the beginning yeah. to where it ended up is, 
just a story that deserves to be told. It's a story that, yeah, the Iraq war was awful. It was terrible. All, all the fiasco surrounding that whole thing, but there was still some good that we did in it because, you know, you ask most GWAT veterans, the reasons that we went there and all that and everything surrounding it, it, it's left a bad taste, but you ask most of them, like, do you think you were fighting evil though? And I think a lot of them would say hundred percent, like the, some of the stuff that we saw over there and what, what we learned um, other humans to be capable of was horrific. And then, you know, on the other side too, is what, what we were capable of. And, um, you know, no, I always say no one wins in war. Like, how do you win when your country's graves are full? I don't see any, any winners there. Um, so just, uh, so let, let me let me let me um throw out a couple things i mean first off it's uh i was going to start with the process of the book but i think i want to dive into what what you're talking about now because i think that's really the spiritual importance of the book is you're breaking a point that i think i think there's a lot of intellectual confusion about iraq and about war and I've talked about this before on the podcast. I mean, I, I didn't do Iraq. I was only in Afghanistan um, and okay. elsewhere, but not Iraq. I, I never did Iraq. Um, and, but I never, um, honestly, I never doubted the righteousness of Iraq and I'm an anomaly. Um, I, I, and for me, it meant a lot what you said about fighting evil. Um, I felt that way, but, but for me, Iraq was a very clear cut decision. I think there's a lot of, I, I feel like Iraq has suffered because a lot of people use the vocabulary of Vietnam to try to understand Iraq, and that's inappropriate because it's not Vietnam. And yes, of course, there were things that went wrong. War is like football. It's all about halftime adjustments. Of course, there's going to be mistakes made. Um, I want to go to one thing. At the risk of starting this, at, at, uh, <laughs> unlike a like an antagonistic thing, but I don't mean to be antagonistic. I, I, I'm coming at this from a place of intellectual curiosity, I guess. Sure. Let me put it there. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have a real problem with Smedley Butler's war as a racket thing. Okay. Was, I, I, for me, for me, he was writing about a time when yes, America was involved in a lot of wars of expansion and it was a mm-hmm. very different time. And I feel like it's been really like a lot of veterans have kind of or Johnny come lately in my book to Smedley Butler and his ideology and now try to shoehorn it into our current wars. And I'm like, yeah, world war one never needed to be fought. You know, the Spanish American war arguably never needed to be fought. The GWAT. I mean, look, uh, even specifically Iraq, if Saddam Hussein wants to play footsie and pretend like he has weapons of mass destruction to the point and again, it wasn't without cause. He had gassed over 200,000 Kurds in the late, you know, yeah. 80s. A lot of people forget about the that. 90s. Yeah. I mean, so it's not like he didn't have them. He had the motive, <clears throat> the means, and the opportunity to use them. And now, in the wake of 9 11, if he wants to fuck around and act like he has them to the point that even his big, his closest circle advisors all believe he does have them. And by the mm-hmm. way, there were trains that went out of Iraq and into Syria where then chlorine gas was used, but I'll let other people make that jump. But, but besides that, I'm like, it would have been negligent in my view um, for us to sit back and go, eh, we'll take him at his word. It's like, well, yeah, the motive, the means and the opportunity. It's not a law and order episode. It's like, Hey, I I don't need burden of proof. I just need enough to go. Yeah. I think this is in our national interest to go there. You fuck around, you find out, 
you know, you want to, mm-hmm. you want to act like you do have these and it turns out you don't have either as many. I mean, we found 500 tons, I think ultimately, which was a minuscule amount compared to what we thought we were going to find. But even so, it's like, well, you know, how do how do we know? And then, of course, yeah, once you are there, oh yeah, all the Iranian influence and everything else that you see there, and, and all the other things that happen. I'm like, well, you know, hey, it, it's it's a war, man. And I, you know, I, I, and I'm I'm a, I'm cautious in saying this because I know it's, I mean, look, no one wants to lose anybody, you know, and war, and of course, wars hell. That said, it's not all wars are equal. You know, some wars are more justified than others. And in this case, it's yeah. like, well, I mean, the military is there to do a job and we all signed up to do that job and we volunteered and it's not mm-hmm. Vietnam. We weren't even drafted. Um, but I'm like, so for me, when you bring up all, all the stuff about fighting, even all that, and then, um, you caveat do when I was reading, it sounded like there were caveats, like, look, I know Iraq was terrible and blah, 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 but I kept seeing good stuff there. I guess mm-hmm. I, what I took away from that, I was just like. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I see a lot more. I, I see a lot of good that came out of it. I think, I think we faltered when we lost confidence and conviction in what we do, were doing there. But and I say that, and again, I'm not saying this from an ideological place. I'm saying it from a place of looking at you, looking at other vets, and going, dudes, let's not beat ourselves up on this shit. Like, I hope nobody takes because I know people do soul searching, and I know there's times where you got to take stock. And yes, war puts you in compromising situations where you're doing shit you never thought you might do. But goddamn, man, like there is a good and a bad. And yeah. and and I think I think we in the GWAT can rest pretty fucking easy on the difference between us and the people we were fighting. And I know it's posh and hip to put a moral relativism in place and say, well, we're all just fighting for what causes we believe in and the terrorists are no different. No, fuck yeah, we are different than them. And yes, we did mm-hmm. terrible things, but you know, sometimes you need fucking people to do stuff. Um, shit, my mic just flipped around. Oh, anyway, <laughs> fix that. But anyway, um, so yeah, so so I say all that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm pontificating and getting on a soapbox. But anyway, I'm just trying to spell out what I thought and basically how your book struck me because I was like, look, dude, I think I think you did fucking noble work, and it doesn't mean it was easy. It doesn't mean it felt good. It doesn't mean it was all good. But it means, was mm-hmm. it in service of a greater good? Yeah, it was a horrible thing in service of a greater good. And in many ways, that is war. So I don't know. I'm, I'm throwing that out there. Agree or disagree as you see fit. I, I'm just throwing that out because that was one major thing that I took away from the book. Right on. Um, so <clears throat> I think a lot of veterans get, get stuck and um, kind of lost in the... Trying to make war not nuanced, you know. Everybody wants to have those, um, right. you know. Just just throw that out. Like war is a racket. Like right. how many times have you just seen that phrase just put yeah. out as hashtag and all that, yeah. all that stuff. Um, we just want to simplify it in terms that are easy to understand. And it's just there's. This is why books are written on war. Yes. Nonstop. Yeah. Because no matter how many books we write how many books are out there, how many podcasts we do, how many movies are made. Not any single one is going to get it a hundred percent. Like we can get it as close as we can. It's all blind men describing the elephant. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, so 
there's a, there's a lot there to, to unpack, but I think a lot of it just comes down to um, we want accountability. You know, that's a big thing. Yeah. I think with a lot of it is there's just, <laughs> it's not there. It wasn't there when, when we were over there uh, fighting and all that. Um, yeah. Cause I did Iraq and Afghanistan and what I saw in Afghanistan, um, you know, from how we went in there and I mean, we just, we made the Taliban just look silly. Mm-hmm. I, they, we kicked their ass. They fled. I mean, there's documentation, like there are over 800 fighters there. They're big Taliban brass. I mean, they sent the convoy out of Pakistan to go get like all their major leaders and people out and, and all, you know, all sorts of shit and whatnot. Um, and then we learned that we, as a, a battle hardened company of Marines are going to get replaced by a single platoon of regular British army. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this isn't going to end well. Uh, it, it, I don't, I don't believe it did. I, I, you know, I, I don't know how everything ended up. Um, that's actually for, uh, my next book project is going to be really digging into Afghanistan and um, telling that story about what we did over there with the 24th Mew and all the things we saw. And and the biggest thing that struck me out of Afghanistan was the um, smuggling, uh, not only drug smuggling, but humans and human trafficking and, and all that stuff. Uh, just it's uh, it's wild that it it's as big as it is. It's a industry that is, I mean, just it grows every year. There's more human slaves now than there ever was in any period of history. That's freaking nuts. And it's, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I don't, I try not to watch the news as much as I can without, you know, completely losing the pulse of what's going on. But um, I don't hear anything about that. Uh, I'm interested. Not I'm not going to try to steal from your next book, but I'd love to know what human trafficking did you see? Because I mean, because you were down. I'm assuming Helmand Kandahar area, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, so I'm interested of, what you were saying there. So um, mostly it was just the abuse of kids, a lot okay. of abuse of yep. kids, and I can and yep. you know how what all that entails. Um, yep. it, it's it's where it starts and it grows. It gets just gets worse from there. Um, so, uh, we, we saw some of that, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil too much, but, but, uh, it's just that that stuff exists. It's out there and it's, it's fucking disgusting. Sure. So. Sure. Yeah. When, it, when, uh, when you, so first off, I wanted to say, and I, I meant to say this earlier, I think it was really smart that you were taking notes while you were in Iraq and getting details down. I mean, that's fucking invaluable. Because mm-hmm. the writing can come later, the formal writing, but fuck, just to get the details down and have that those notes there, uh, that's like cheating. That's I'm glad <laughs> you had the foresight to know that what you're doing was important enough that it needed to be documented. That's a mm-hmm. huge service. Um, at the at the risk of just throwing out one hand grenade after another here, let me just say my <laughs> my biggest quibble with the book really was I wanted it to target. I think you have so much stuff. On Ramadi, I wanted it to be almost just on that because I was like the stroke and everything else you dive into is such another rich subject. I was like that mm-hmm. to me is almost like a standalone. Um, but because what you're documenting with Ramadi, it is incredibly important, and your perspective on it. Forget, I mean, 
forget about your actual lived experience, but just your perspective, your ability, and the time you spent stepping back, looking at it, assessing what happened, how it impacted you on a personal level. And you don't totally go as far as geopolitics, but at least as far as strategically where it came, where it fit into the picture, it's incredibly important work. And there's very few people that spent the time to document it. I think it's, I mean, it's certainly a book to be incredibly proud of. That was my Thank only you. thought as I was like, fuck, man, I want to take a microscope, target just this and fucking yeah. blow up just like I want to stay in this headspace for right now. Um, When it came time w- w- to actually start putting pen to paper in a real substantial way and actually write it, mm-hmm. um, it's obvious like why that would be a struggle and why that would cough up issues and right, all that. Right. Um, did you ever mess around with the idea of doing anything fictional or adapting it into another medium so that it would be easier for you to write or allow you to take yourself out of the mix and just, um, mm-hmm. and focus on the story Did that? I'm just curious if that was ever a consideration. Um, so there, I can't. Uh, I'm not going to say too much on it right now, but, um, you know, this, this book is my, my story more. Um, and and it was just a means to be able to, um, get the battle of Ramadi on paper, get the uh, awareness of, um, stroke autoimmune disease, uh, the exposures and all that, that we went through the trauma, all that stuff. That was kind of my way of just like, you know, the 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 old saying of as long as it helps one person and i, mm. I truly believe like it, it, it'll be it'll, it it'll has do the more than capability that. to help people yeah, yeah. and yeah. thank you thank you um and that that's just this book and, and and it's been something that you know since 2006 i've always had this idea it's been like a monkey on my back and now it's finally just mm. i'm going to be able to you know i has my finally it has my stamp of approval. Cause like, no mm. shit. That's like my 50th manuscript, like started on it. Like I had so many other times I started and would get through so far. And I would just be like, Oh God, you know, start rereading it. And I'm like, hate this stop writing. Uh, yeah. You know, it'd be like another six months down the road. I'd be like, all right, let's, let's try this again. But when I really finally put down um, pen to paper, those last time the, the, the final manuscript that you, um, that you were able to read. I really started that, uh, probably last October, November, wow. uh, 2022. Okay. okay. Um, and, and it's one of those things where I've, I've gone over it so many times and I've made all these, um, you know, blueprints, the, the cluster sheets, the mapping everything out and, yeah. and main events and, and really going through it. And I just kept like, I just was able to go and just kept going. And I was like, finally, this is it. Like I got, there's something here. There's something. And I just kept working on it, working on it. And, um, and then there was just one point where I was just like, okay, I think I actually have something. You know, I had this confidence to be like, I'm just going to publish it. I'm just going to go for it. Just going to, yeah. yeah. this whole self publishing things out there now. And it's yeah. just, I'm just like, what are you waiting for dude like quit running from this like let's let's do this so um that was you know really a a driving force behind just just getting this done like like dude it's been a decade and a half like yeah of course come on and a lot lot of books 
have been written about Ramadi. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of them have the first person perspective that yours does. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what's, it's not the only thing that's unique, but it is a major component of what's unique is who is doing the writing. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's funny while I was reading it and in talk and talking to you today, I mean, it strikes me of how many soldiers and Marines throughout history, American history, especially never told their stories. Right. And mm-hmm. went through so much shit and we will never know about it. And we needed some historian to try to reconstruct and try to interview people and all that. And you overcame the monster. I mean, you overcame that, that barrier of resistance that would, that doesn't want you to tell that story and wants yeah. it to sit and fester with you. That to me, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of, this is a super leading question because I've just teed this up, but how do you feel? I mean, do you feel relieved right now? Do you feel like there's a bit of a monkey off your back? Do you feel like, or does it, does it even matter at this point? Or are you just numb to it and you're like, hey, whatever, just one foot in front of the other? Um. Well, no, I, I am. It's a, uh, huh. And that he did tee that out. That's a, that's a hard question to answer because there's so many emotions that go into it. It's hard to, because you know it's it's like the process is already set in motion. So you know things are moving, the ball's rolling. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's it's done. But at the same time, it's like I I I haven't held a physical copy besides the one I printed out of mm-hmm. my computer type type yeah. of thing. So like yeah. once it's like once I see that with the the dope, uh, you know art illustration on the cover because it just uh this dude ben cantwell just knocked oh, it out of the park Ben's I mean, fucking just awesome. freaking awesome dude yeah, yeah, yeah oh i can't i can't wait we're uh we're planning on releasing the art and the book cover together like sometime in july i think so that's that's, that's gonna good. be really cool um, awesome yeah i can't wait to get that out there because it just it encapsulates i mean you you know the the titles out there it's it's called it'll buff out um, the whole subtitle is kind of being tweaked and worked on a little bit, but it's basically a Marine story about the battle of Ramadi and, and surviving a stroke. Um, so I, it's not done yet, but I, I can see, I, I see the light at the end of the tunnel and it's getting bigger every day. And I just, I can't wait to be out in the broad daylight when the book is yeah. released in September. And it's just like, finally. Yeah. You think, you'll, you think, are you feeling like that'll be a chance to take a little breath, a little bit of catharsis? I think, I think I'll be able to take a, a nice deep breath. Um, and, and, and in many ways it has begun already. Like I've, I've started work on, um, the Afghanistan book and all that, which is, uh, I got a pretty, pretty interesting title for that too. Working on that out, working out on that. So, um, yeah, it's. I'm not quite there yet, but I, I, right. I'm well on the way. Jared, how are you right now? How are you doing right now? I mean, obviously with the book and all that, I mean, these are, you know, the emotions are going to run hot and you're going to have a lot of, you know, you know, feelings and all that that are Mm -hmm. coming up, but how are you doing with everything and just in general in life? Is everything going well? Do you feel like you're, you've rounded a curve and you're kind of Jared 2.0 now? Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of that. There's, um, this last couple years after, you know, COVID and the pandemic and all that, um, there's, there's been a lot of changes in, in our life and in our family's lives. Uh, you know, we moved 
and uh, started new jobs and new new living situations and all that stuff. And it's, um, you know, any anytime you're going to have a period of adjustment, you're going to have some successes and some struggles. And just through it all, it's it's been able to develop uh, a, a mindset within myself to just be able to um, let a lot of things go. Because at one point I was trying to take on everyone's, you know, like uh, the the people pleasers type of type of thing. You always want to, yep. you know, you're always giving the shirt off your back. Well, you you know, you run out of shirts at some point, huh. right? Right. So, um, so it's just kind of like becoming aware of things like that, and just being able to, you know, set up health, some healthy boundaries, um, just with your time, how much you're you're willing to give to certain things. You know, you ha- you have to prioritize your life with all the the attention and time you're going to give things. And, you know, for me, it's, it's really, it's, it's my wife, my kids. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm a man of God. I, uh, you know, that was one of the things that came from, from writing this book. Um, you know, I, and I go into it a little, I don't, I don't, I didn't want to like put a whole lot of focus on it, but it was one of those things that I, I think, hits a lot of, a lot of troops, you know, Marine soldiers, anyone who, uh, you don't even have to go to war for, for it to have an impact on you. But there's a lot of people that go through a lot of, they're growing up where they have some kind of a religious background and then it fades away and then they come back to it at some point in life and all that. Uh, but really writing the book and going through all the situations in my life that made me stray from being a, a good little pastor's kid, hmm. right? Yeah. So, um, you know, just being able to go back and look through all those situations, going through everything I I did after that and coming out on the other side of it, there, there was something that, that just happened and made me realize, you know, Hey, like there's, there's, there, there's actually something to all this, this religious stuff. There's, there's a reason why these religious texts have been around for thousands of years and are still applied on a daily basis. Um, and you don't have to like, you don't have to go and be a pastor or, or, you know, throw on the John the Baptist hat and become a crazy man in the wilderness. Like it, you don't have to, you really don't have to do anything much at all. It's just, um, you, you find your, you find what it means to you. And, and I know that's kind of a cop out cliche thing to say, but, um, I can tell you that my perspective on things um, doesn't line up with a whole lot of other people just because mm. I don't think, and, and this is probably going to be one of those rabbit holes that people dive down and, and all that, but, uh, <laughs> everything's radical nowadays. That's not, yeah. yeah that, what is isn't it, radical? Real. Right. Yeah. yeah. So every, yeah, everybody's got their, like their niche and stuff. And, uh, I, uh, I just, I just prescribe to, a a different, um, not, not like a whole different view, but I just, I view my relationship with spirituality uh, just a lot differently than most people would thinking it's like this woo woo mystical thing mm-hmm. where I'm just like, no, actually it's actually a lot more like physical and, and, and grounded in reality than most people are willing to accept just because of uh, something is seemingly unexplainable. Yes. That um, I want to I want to stay with that for for a minute okay. because I think you're touching on something that's incredibly important. Um, I'm going to ask a series a, a couple of short questions to get there. 
do you regret having signed up or, or enlisting, doing what you did, having the experiences you had? Is there any regret with those decisions? No, no. Then in that case, what I want to ask is mm-hmm. now understanding, you know, having a, a, a spiritual sense that's helping you, that you're seeing a utility to. Could you have been that person through your enlistment? Would it have made a difference? Would it have been possible? How would that, what would that have looked like for you? Great question. I, when I was going through the service, I always said to myself, I don't, I'm not going to start a family. And, and while I'm enlisted, I'm not going to do this or do that. And that, that is a question I ask myself a lot, especially writing this book and knowing how much of an impact being married and having kids was to me and how that affected my, my, my soul, my personality, how I act on a day-to-day basis. I, I always wondered, you know, if I had a family back when I was in mm-hmm. Iraq mm-hmm. and I knew guys who had families and I was just like, how the hell do you guys do this? Like, how, yeah. like, I don't know if that would have helped or, or hindered. I, I don't, I don't know, but I do come back to myself and ask that. And, and then as, uh, as much as it, I'm relating it to having a family in active combat, it, it is a very spiritual thing. Cause you, when you have, someone that you love so much and you have these kids, you care about every single facet of them. whether it's whether you believe in the soul or heaven or hell or whatnot, you at some point as a parent, if you're, if you're worth the shit as a parent, you're going to care about that and you're going to worry and have some kind of feeling or emotion about it. And, and I, you know, I don't know if that would have helped me. Um, you know, you know what it probably would have been more of a situation of is there wouldn't have been any way in hell I would have turned down the reenlistment bonus when I was in Afghanistan <laughs> if I had a family. <laughs> That's a true answer. That makes a ton right? of sense. Yeah. So, yeah. so like that, I could see the most impactful way of having a family and or having this more spiritual sense would have impacted me more by staying in the machine because that that ultimately would be you know supporting supporting them and if you know i I can only imagine if because i had like a re-enlistment package like north of hundred and twenty thousand for a six-year re-up and and i could just imagine my wife's face now just be like yeah i turned down 120 grand she'd be like you did what (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh no listen it's a, it's a it's a great point and i mean there is and i think it is funny how the practical considerations um can sometimes line up with the spiritual considerations um mm-hmm. i i guess the other place i want to go with that is you know new, now you raising kids and to be fair this podcast and and all, everything you're doing that's going to put you out i hate to use the word influencer but yeah i guess there's not a better word to use, but it's going to influence people and mm-hmm. it should influence um, kids. I mean, kids that are old enough to process the stories, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think saying that, Hey, look, you know, I've found a faith and this spiritual anchor has helped guide me. It's helped rudder me, you know, through mm-hmm. life and all that. Where my mind goes is for kids to internalize that 
and then go, okay, well, I planned on joining the military. Now I'm going to join the military. And I'm also going to onboard a spiritual sense and find this spiritual anchor. And I, I don't have an answer for this. It's literally just a question. If you've had any thoughts on it, of okay. how one reconciles faith, because there's so many combat veterans right, and non-combat mm-hmm. veterans, I'm sure too, but um, I'm, I'm thinking of a lot of folks that you know, went through significantly traumatic experiences, found faith or rediscovered faith. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then, um, and you came out the other side better, but also like, or like, Hey, I don't regret my experiences. And then I wonder, okay, so what's the model then? And, and is it something that's tenable um, to put yourself in, in a, you know, a tough situation where there might be moral compromises that you have to make or suffer it to mm-hmm. be so now moments. And, uh, and that's a hard thing to do, but I'm wondering if it's less hard if you go into it with an active faith to begin with. Um, so I don't know. I mean, any thoughts in there? It's it's kind of a bag of of ideas there, but pick sure. on that as you will. What do you think? <clears throat> so at, at some point, everyone's heard of the Ten Commandments. Everyone knows there's the "Thou shalt not murder, kill," or you know, however it's various translations are worded. Um, I think it's, I don't think it's as um, hard of a thing to reconcile anymore. And it, it actually took me a long time to just realize, um, like, you're going to be in situations where it, it's going to come down to you or them. Yeah, They're trying to, they're trying to kill you too. And you want to go home. You want to see your buddies go home. You're going to do everything you can to make sure that happens. And, you know, that's the, the non-nuanced way to, to say it. It's us or them. Um, and we all know there's a, a great documentary done by um, actually uh, one of our, one of the guys I was in Afghanistan with, and he um, it's called once a Marine. And, and, and one of it, one of the guys he interviews you know, he, he says something along the lines of, I'm going to have to paraphrase because I don't know the exact quote, but uh, it's something along, along the lines of, as part of the human species, you intuitively know there's some kind of ingrained sense that, you know, you're not supposed to kill a member of your own species, right. you know? And, and I think a lot of us, <clears throat> you know, you, you have that Marine mentality, the the army mentality, whatever method you or branch you chose you are trained to kill this is what the military does this is we are there to fight a war not have a tea party right like it, it it's all the this is what we're doing but to be able to come in and recon, reconcile that with a faith that says thou shalt not kill well the, the simple answer is that's why there's forgiveness that's why there's mercy that's why um you you atone for your sins and and you you repent um and if you and if you truly do because i think a lot of guys you know you you're in the piss and vinegar stages of of war and that in my early 20s it was kill 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 them all like freaking the only good bug's a dead bug you know little starship troopers quote but um and that's what it was. That was the mentality, but you, you 
grow out of that. Like you're going to grow out of that. Like you mature while you're in, you know, I matured quite a bit in in five years. And then I got married and you have kids and you start to see these other aspects of life where, you know, I, I start to remember the times I had over there and, and saw kids and like, oh God, what are their lives like? questions like that and then it's like yeah that's that's hard to that's hard to stomach but at this stage in my life it's it's something where i don't want to see that happen and and knowing that there are certain things that we can do as a society as um even even guys on active duty in the marines there, there's different approaches that we can take there's 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 training, there's all sorts of educational tools that we could put to use um, to kind of sculpt this more balanced mindset instead of just the kill, kill, kill them all. Because there there was that side to us and we did, and you know, this is where, you know, I don't think we, any one person's responsible for it. We just kind of instinctively did this in Afghanistan because we were on I mean, just full on assault mode, you know, slash and burn all the way down the jug room fort. And then we had to flip the switch and go into civilian mode and, and police mode. And, yeah. and we went and interacted with the people. And, and I mean, I thought we did a great job. Like we, you know, you have all the the reparations and all this stuff and, and all that going on, you're interacting with the people. They're inviting you in to, to sit down and have some chai. I'm like, that's got to be a good sign. Like culturally, like you go through right. and you, you you know hold your hand over your heart and you know ask permission to come into their compound because you know most of them are just people just trying to live their lives. You know, like regardless that somebody in the Taliban is probably their next door neighbor right. um, at, at just a, a week or two ago, but um. There's a there's a lot that that just can be done differently, and and one of the the things that you know probably spoke volumes to me in Afghanistan was when um, this old man he you know he's the the elder of this little village compound he has like four or five sons. So there's all of his sons' families in this compound, and it, it, it's big. He's got his his fields of endless pot growing and, right, and all sorts right. of crazy shit like that. Right. And, uh, you know, he has a little, a little school there and he's like, yeah, you know, I'd love to reopen the school and, and get, you know, the, the kids back in and by kids, he meant boys. I didn't know that at the time I was, I was coming to learn that. And, uh, he asked for supplies, school supplies. I was like, all right, sweet. What do you need? He's like, you know, paper, some, some stuff to write with. I was like, all right, cool. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll ask for that. I can get you that. Like they're throwing out hundreds of bucks to people every day for having a mud wall fall over from a, a grenade or whatever. And well, it takes a lot more than a grenade to knock over one of them, but you, you get tight. <laughs> and um, so I, I get this <laughs> delivery and it's like, uh, you know, a ream of printer paper and 
a box of pencils and I think there was another box of colored pencils and and that was it. And I was just like, this is the best the American war machine can come up with for a little school and help them in Providence. Like, um, yeah. So it, and it was so funny cause they tried to make a big deal with like this, uh, there was some French news reporter there too. So they had him tag along on the patrol where we went and delivered it and, you know, they got it on film or whatever. And it was just kind of like one of those things where I was just like, yeah, it's kind of just a dog and pony show. Yeah. Yeah. In some parts, um, at least, you know, experiences in the GWAT differ very widely. Um, whole lot of different experiences to be had. I, you know, I'm sure there's some people who did see a school reopen and they had every bell and whistle thrown at them. Um, I don't know. No, I think you're my experience. So no, I think you're right. And what year was that? Remind me again that you were in 2008 was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, that's right. And depending on the years and uh, yeah, I mean, and it's that world went on long enough that Mm-hmm. I think even depending, you know, like the nature of the Afghan culture, and that was something we we talked about when um, during the withdrawal, when we were trying to, um, uh, when we were doing pineapple, uh, there was a big difference between GWAT veterans that served before 2013 and after 2013 in their perceptions mm-hmm. of the Afghans, uh, because the Afghans had just, their culture had changed. Like it had literally, we'd been there for a generation and there was a generation of Afghans that now like were different than Afghans had been before and were a lot more yeah. Americanized. So those of us that would have been after 2013 had a much more amicable view of Afghans mm. than people before who were like, and especially when it came to the Afghan military, because people were looking at the Afghan military and like these fucking assholes and all. And I was like, wait, <laughs> when, when were you there? And they're like 2010. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, they're, mm. they're, they're different now. Like it, it was weird, but it was like, but 20 years, like it's a, it's a different enemy. It's a different friend. You know, like yeah. everything is so different, but no, I mean, a hundred percent, the school story, I mean, rings true that you have these different, you know, problems that pop up and different takeaways, I guess. Well, let me stay with this. I, I, I got so much <laughs> else I want to ask you almost philosophically, um, because I mm-hmm. think you have, you've had a rich experience that you're, that I think everyone's going to benefit from reading about um, immensely. But I also want to take the time to add to probe even deeper on stuff that that won't sure, come up yeah. in the book. Um, what? It's, it's an unfair question, but what do you think? What do you think that children? And I'm defining that. I'm using that term loosely. Should have a takeaway for your book. I mean, by that I mean kids that can read the book and understand it, or of an age to hear the stories. So teenagers, whatever. Should they have a takeaway from your book? Is there anything for them to take away? Or is this should really it, it be a takeaway for veterans or for people that are that can relate to the experience and go, oh dude, thanks for saying that, or I appreciate hearing that? Or do you think there is something for the complete novice in life to take away from? Ooh. I think um well, I, you know, I, I I wrote it for you know, I hope, I hope for everyone, you know, really, I, you know, <clears throat> it's a book. It, there's a, since, uh, since I've been still working on it and all that. And, um, I, I made a glossary of acronyms. 
I called it whackronoms. And, you know, it was kind of like, and I, and I wrote like a little preface to the glossary and it was just, um, you know, I, I wrote this book for everyone. So, um, I created this glossary for the civilians who, who didn't serve. And for those who did serve, you know, here's a little bit of nostalgia, you know, like right, why not? Right, right. Um, so I, I, I really did try to have everybody be able to read this book and be able to digest it in a way to where, um, you know, uh, I think, uh, one of the, you know, earlier, like around end of February and March, somewhere in there, I really started to go through and, and, and go through the book and just be like, um, man, like I'm, I'm throwing some shade, mm. at different, different things. And, and, you know, uh, there's other books about Ramadi that I've read that, that throw some shade at our battalion threw some shade at some other units that were there. And it was just, kind of, and I was just kind of like, <laughs> like, screw that. Like if anybody went through Ramadi, like you have my respect, like, and even the national guardsmen that fucking fired their machine gun at me, like you get a little respect too. And good thing you're a shitty shot. So, um, <laughs> You know, I started to go through and just be like, you know, how can I make this more relatable? Like, why am I throwing shade here? Like th that yeah. takes away from the core message and the core of the story. And I don't want to be talking shit about anybody. Like everybody talks enough shit as it is. Like there's enough antagonists and, and boogeyman in the book for me to just not have to talk shit. Like, yeah. Um. so I really went through and tried to, you know, and, and by doing that, it, it started opening up this other, um, this other thought of I'm just going to put this stuff out there. Like, you know, I, I really go into, I, I think I did go into a little bit of the reasons of why we went to Iraq. It was a, a right. fiasco and just like all this stuff. And it was just like, why not just put like, here's what happened. Like, I don't need to inject my opinions into it. Like yeah. let, let the readers decide for themselves. Um, and it was the same thing with the VA, uh, you know, the VA, I, for God's sake, I had a stroke. Uh, yeah. lupus. We're going to get um, into that in this. a second. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So, so, you know, there's all, all that stuff to take away, but I think, um, God, my voice just cracked, but no, you're good. I yeah. think, I think, um, speaking of youth and my voice cracking, <laughs> if some teenager read my book is, uh, you know, that's, that's how I started getting obsessed with the military was that when I was in seventh grade, I read every freaking book on Vietnam I could get my hands on. That's how I fell in love with the Marine Corps. That was a year after, you know, I talk about my grandpa in the book and, and interviewing him about his time in World War II when he was in Patton's Third Army. I mean, just oh, I, when I finally am able to dive into because uh, I have a whole stack of letters between him and his dad from the whole time he was in service from boot camp until he got home. Uh, I want to make, I want to turn that into a story about the 87th golden acorn division um, eventually, but that's further down the road, mm. but just all that stuff and knowing what I knew as a kid, like if I would have no, no, no. Now I have to face myself with that question. I don't think I've asked myself this question before. So forgive me if I have to take a second to think no, about sorry. it, but as a kid, what would I think of my own book? You know, the first thing that that jumps out at me is I talk about um, naivety or being naive is a curse. And so is youth in a way, because it's the wasted youth. You waste your youth on so much stupid shit. Like, yeah, there's 
you go drinking, like you have, you have parties and you experience things and, you know, you have to recover from those parties. It's more wasted time and, and all yada, 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 et cetera. And I really did. Um, I really do believe that being naive, th- there's a, well, there's not a whole lot of benefit to being naive. I mean, I don't, correct, I, don't I don't know. Um, yeah, it's weird. Maybe if it made yeah. you more cautious, but then you don't take chance. You know, I don't know. But I was naive in the sense that I wanted to go to war. I wanted to experience what my grandpa had. And from reading all those books, it, it definitely pushed me into a mindset that I'm going to be a Marine. Like, yeah, my grandpa was in the Army. He was a badass. But I want to go... I want to go further. I want to experience something even more hardcore. Like you read about those guys in the Pacific during world war two. And it's just like, Whoa, like, and then you get into Vietnam and you're reading about all that stuff. And, and it's just, it definitely steered me in a, in a direction, but I would hope my, my book, I hope the main takeaway isn't some black or white answer. Cause I, I really, mm-hmm. there, I really tried to portray that there just isn't one. Like, like I've been kind of, I've mentioned a couple of times, like it's so much more nuanced than war is a racket. Right. Right. Uh, the last justified war was world war two. Um, <laughs> right. Like, like stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's just not so cut and dry. Um, so I, I would hope they would come away with a sense of, be careful what you wish for and nothing in life is a easy answer. There's no simple solutions to anything. It's like anything that we're looking at today. Everybody wants to be like the problem at the border would be solved if the wall was already up. Right. Right. Hmm. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You know, it's just, there's a lot more nuance. And, And I think that, I, I, I hope that comes through in, in the book. There's just more nuance to life. You know, what was the reason I had the stroke? I don't know. Like it could it have been the inhalation from the burn pits. I don't know. Like, I don't think so. I think it was a part of it. I don't think it was the smoking gun in it. Um, just kind of something like that. There's just a lot more that goes into it. There's uh, you know, there's traumatic brain injury, there's all the exposures, there's depleted uranium exposure, there's all the childhood trauma that I went through as a kid, there's all the stuff that I went through after I got out of the Marines, there was the, all the cigarettes I smoked, all the beer I drank, there's, there's all this stuff, there's so much to it, there's, but to just be able to be like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to do. It's a, and I think a lot of people want that, you know, it's that, that's Amer- the American way. It's that quick fix, take a pill, get skinny. You know, it's, I think it's, uh, is, is it? Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no I, I was just going to say, is there a, cause you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I think for me, what I'm kind of torn about right now, hearing all this is, Look, you, you've truly lived at the tip of the spear through two combat theaters, mm-hmm. and that's not even the full gamut of experience. I mean, 
everything else that you went through health-wise, mm. the uh, amount of experiential wisdom that whether or not you've mined it, whether or not you've been able to articulate it to your satisfaction yet, but there's a lot there. And I wonder about that for the impact that the book will have and that you'll have in all the rest of your writing, what that impact, what you want that impact to be. And if there's clarity on that and not saying there needs to be right now, but I'm just wondering, Mm -hmm. because I feel like um, those are the kind of that I do think there is, there's a great opportunity I mean, on one hand, I mean, certainly the combat stuff, yes, we are a country that is still as much at war now as mm-hmm. we have been over the last 10 years. It's just not declared and it's just pending. Um, right. So kind of understanding war better so that we can make hopefully increasingly better and better decisions on mm-hmm. wars as we go forward um, and and even how to wage them, not necessarily whether or not they need to be waged. Um and then personally, you know, the strength that you've been able to find and the clarity you've been able to find, the path you've been able to forge. And I and I'm this is a lot of content, context in search of a question. But I think let me put it like this. What do you think is the takeaway for you right now? Besides just hey, things are more nuanced than maybe you might otherwise like. What do you want that nuance? What, what do you want that takeaway to be? Um, if you had to boil it down, do you want people to have a better sense personally of how they can be more fulfilled or live a better life or navigate trauma in their lives? Is it a sense, a a geopolitical sense of like, Hey guys, this is what war is actually like. Is it all the above? Mm -hmm. What do you, where do you want that influence to be placed? Okay. Throwing out some bangers today, Chris. It's your fault. Um, you wrote the book. I mean, you know. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, man. Uh, and let me, while, while, while you're thinking, I'll just say this. The reason I am okay. asking is because it, it really is your fault. You, you, you've, <laughs> it's not just that you've written a compelling book, but it's that, look, that you do have a lot of incredibly not that they're rare experiences that it's rare for one person to have all of this and it's a great opportunity so that's why i ask it's like it's not somebody that just has i mean we're all blind men trying to describe the elephant Mm -hmm. but as blind Mm -hmm. men go you've traveled a good way around the elephant so i feel like it's a it's a it would be a missed opportunity to not ask the so what of where does this all go and what 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 impact you hope it has Mm -hmm. um man I I hope it helps people realize, you know, without having to go through all of these hardships, but even if you do, um, it's okay to like, there, there's a, it's okay to be weak, right? There's, Hmm. there's a time and a place for everything. And there's a time and a place to be weak. There's a time and a place where you need to be able to ask for help. And I wasn't always able to do that. And, and, you know, I, you pay a price for that stuff at some point you're gonna, the Piper always comes to collect. It could be a week after something happened. I mean, it could be an hour after something happened. It could be a a decade. Um, 
Uh, there's a, there's a good book I've read and along the lines, and I forget the title, but it's something along the lines of the body keeps the score or something like that. But the body keeps track, whether you are or consciously or not, your body's keeping a toll on things. And I think my body kept a toll and, and, you know, the stroke was a reset button. And in as many ways as surviving combat and going through all the traumas that I've, that I've been through were wake up calls and, and did have an impact on my life. There's always something else that in your life that can have a, a, even a bigger or a deeper impact on you. And, you know, even, even after the stroke and all that, I I've still had, um, you know, even within the last uh, year, I've had a profound impact that it's just like, wow, like here's another wake up call. Um, but as far as being that as a, a, a takeaway and, and coming out of the book, um, nothing is hopeless. Mm. You know, I mm. think that's, that's a big takeaway. Nothing is hopeless if you're willing to do the work, you know, there, there's that other aspect to it as well. You can sure. open, open wish in one hand and you know what, in the other, um, you have to put in, there's work that is going to have to be done. And that work is, you know, being okay with yourself being weak. If all you've been your whole life is this strong, imposing figure of, of, you know, a combat hardened Marine, um, you have to be okay with being being that and being able to say, "Hey, I'm struggling here. Like, I need some help." You're still you're still that same person. You're still that yeah. same combat yeah. hardened marine, right? But you need to be able to be okay with yourself asking for help. And if if we could teach that in a way to where somebody is able to do that before they have a fucking stroke, then I think that's a huge win. And that goes, you know, that of course is like a huge, like big macro example, but there's, it applies to all the little things too. You have to be able to do those, those small things to, to grow. Right. So, yeah. um, I talk about being in a comfort zone. I've always loved that about, um, Jocko Willink and, and describing like nothing grows inside of a comfort zone. And, you know, on top of that discipline equals freedom. And it's just like, yeah. Like it's a bitch, like getting outside of your comfort zone sucks and it's awful. And it, and if you have anxiety and depression, whew, that is yeah. uh, quite the task to overcome. But when you do and you see the changes that you've been able to enact on yourself yeah. with the help of others, because you ask for help. It is so much more empowering than just putting your head down and, you know, bowling your way through things without any of that. And then you, you eventually end up, you know, now I'm going to get into some what is, I'm not going to go there. So, um, you know, being able to take that away from the book, I think would be, would be a really huge thing. Um, another couple of things I had just jotted down which, uh, you know, are just kind of more of a, a wishful thing on my part, mm-hmm. but I hope it gets people to maybe take a look at history more. Um, I was a, a teacher for, for five years and 
taught social studies and, and did my best. And, uh, the students loved it. You know, I had a, a, a great way of teaching history that I think, you know, was able to incorporate a lot of humor, get them to laugh. And when kids are laughing, they're more engaged. They're actually going to remember stuff that you're talking about. So, um, being able to study history and I, I love the, the quote of those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. While those who do know history are forced to sit by and watch. Um, maybe one day that cliche could be flipped around and there, there's such a rich love of history in, in our, in our world that because everything that's going on right now is, is like everybody's shocked and surprised by it. And then there's me who's on the sidelines sitting by and just going <laughs> like, we've seen this all before. Yeah. We've been through all of this. Like, yeah. 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 So my last thing is, um, you know, being, a people love talking about being a leader and, and, and all this stuff. And, and my biggest takeaway from being a squad leader in Afghanistan was being, having the ability to teach mm. because you as a, a squad leader should know all these things about all the weapon systems you're using, all the tactics that you employ. Sure how to set up the L-shaped ambush, when, you know, you got to know how to do patrol overlays, all this shit. But that's great and all if you know how to do it. But you, and this is where the beauty of the Marine Corps comes in with small unit leadership, is you have to teach all the shit that you know to your entire squad. And are you going to be able to do that? Can you teach? Yeah, that's, that's cool if you can teach one-on-one. Can you teach uh, a squad from a different platoon? Can you teach you know, a whole platoon, something. And, you know, I found, I found out like I was getting guys sent over to me from like uh, our, our weapons platoons and all that to learn um, mountain training, military operations on urban terrain. And I, you know, I love that, you know, that was our, our that was our bread and butter and in, in Ramadi was room clearing. So we had to be, I mean, dead on, like always like just on point clearing rooms and all that and you know what to look for you know you got the ceiling it's a 3d environment you have rat holes and all the, all these other sorts of things like booby traps you know, what, what to look out for so i just i love teaching that and you know one of my greatest takeaways was um you know we we had just got done clearing like this three-story building we're all drinking water outside everyone's smoked everyone's red faced, just profusely sweating in the north carolina heat and um this one dude, he's just like, like Corporal Pruitt, I've been in the Marine Corps for 18 months and I've learned more in the last two hours working with mm-hmm. you than I have in that entire time. And I was just like, holy shit, this is what it's all about. Like yeah. this, that right there is what it should be all about. And it's taking what you know, what I knew from Ramadi and teaching it to all these junior guys. Because those were the dudes that went off to Marja in 2010. Yeah. And I mean, they had their, they had their own Ramadi. Sure. And, um, you know, who the hell knows if what I actually taught them, you know, was worth a shit over in Afghanistan, but it was still just having that, um, that, I guess that method or, or ideology to always pass down 
the experiences of those who've come before you down to those who are going to be picking up the torch. Yeah. And, and that was one thing our, our unit did, um, from the first deployment to Afghanistan in 2004, where these dudes earned the name, uh, you know, they were called death walkers by the Taliban is they actually stayed and fight. You know, most of their experience was they ambushed an American convoy or something and they'd, you know, just dip out and, and get out of there. Well, when they met the, the Marines from one six, <laughs> we didn't back down. We went and hunted them down and, and killed them. And, you know, from, from those lessons, we had those guys bring that back. And then they taught everything they knew to the guys who went to Fallujah. And they, and I think one six was there like a month, one or two months after the, the second battle of Fallujah. So they, you know, they were still over there in a, in a place where shit could pop off at any second, you know, just cause the, the, the battle went, you know, I think they still had um, some pretty, some pretty gnarly engagements. Um, so then those guys came back and they taught everything they knew to the Ramadi guys. And then we go over to Ramadi, we bring all that stuff back and we go into Garmzer and Helmand province in 2008. And then we just have this, and then we're sent back over to Marja. And then after Marja, they go to uh Sangin and Kajaki. And I think one six had a Syria deployment too, but, um, I think all that stuff, like, like not all battalions are are created equal. I I, I wish it wasn't so, and I, and I'm gonna be coming dangerously close to throwing <laughs> some shade here, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> but there's a reason why. There's a reason why. Um, you know, we went we why we went to Ramadi. There's a reason why one six went to Helmand Province in 2008. Um, there's there's just other battalions that I don't know if they would have been able to handle it because they didn't have all those prior experiences. Right. And, and yeah, there's, there's a point to be made of, well, how the hell are they ever going to get experience if they never have any on their own? And yeah, sure. That's, that's a valid point, but there's, there's reasons why I think some units ended up in the spots they, they were because of their, their actual fighting ability. Um, And, and those can only come from having, boots on the ground experiences in the sandbox or, or, you know, what have you. Right. Um, so that, that, that's it. Do you miss it? Whew. Do I miss, um, hanging out with the boys and doing some rad field ops and being able to shoot some laws. Hell yeah. Yeah, I miss I miss that shit. Um I don't miss field days. I don't miss um slinging endless amounts of sandbags. I don't miss um getting ambushed sucks. I don't miss that. Um you know there it's a uh, it's very nuanced, I guess. <laughs> um there's there's a lot that you miss and there's a lot of shit that you you do not want to ever go through again. Um, so it's one of those things that has there been a lot of times in my life where, man, maybe I should have taken that reenlistment mm-hmm. package. Yeah. 
Yeah. Looking at the health stuff, I don't want to give short shrift to that because it's obviously mm-hmm. a significant part of the book. Um, for you, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so maybe let me let me just ask the question and let you talk okay. about it. How do you interpret all the health stuff that happened to you? I mean, we talked before about it's tough to pinpoint how exactly it happened. There's no forensics yeah. you can do and all that, and that's probably better. But especially now, based off what we talked about, a spiritual sense, maturity, family concerns, and all that, do you look at the health stuff holistically as like, hey, my path, the path that I've forged, this was, you know, like you kept calling it a wake-up call. These are these different alarm bells that go off and go, hey, there's different itches to be scratched now. I got it. I got the physical stuff down. I've got some of, you know, the the typical type A male stuff down. Now I got to play a different role now i've got to find a different strength is that how you look at it or am i reading into it or how do you look at the health stuff now looking back at it all um well there's there's everything i've gone through um exposed um traumas all of that you know you have to uh, account for your genetics. Uh, are you predisposed predisposed to things or um, all that stuff? Uh, and, and I wish that would have been, uh, you know, in a way you wish like, yeah, that it's just in the family. Well, the problem mm-hmm. is nothing, nothing is that I have or experience is in my family history. So just having that uh, kind of context going into it, 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 it's very odd for a male to have lupus to begin with and to have lupus just all of a sudden start to show up while I'm in active combat. And, and it just kind of slowly snowballed from there up until, I mean, my hands were swelling up to like the size of hams. I couldn't bend or extend my fingers. Um, and that would happen in every single joint in my body. Um, my wrists, elbows, feet, knees, hips, all that stuff of uh, chronic fatigue. Uh, you know, I'm just getting into symptoms and stuff. We don't need to go into that, but just all this stuff happened. And then on top of that, I was 30 years old when I had a stroke and no, no family history of a, a stroke. Um, and it wasn't, I I kind of, I've joked about this before and, you know, it's really not funny, but there was, uh, God, it was one of the Kardashians. I can't believe I'm talking about the (laughs) Kardashians, but, uh, one of them was married to a basketball player and that dude, he went out and did like you know, doing a bunch of blow and banging hookers for, I don't know, a certain amount of time. And he, you know, he had a stroke and I was just like, well, you know, at least I didn't, you know, (laughs) like it wasn't anything like that. I like, I had just gotten back from a elk hunting trip and, um, went to, got back to the house that night, went to sleep, woke up the next morning having a stroke. Like, I don't, I don't know what the hell happen um and it was uh one of those things where the doctors were just like you know we 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 don't know like 
You know, like, why did I have a stroke? I'm 30 years old. I'm in shape. I wasn't banging a bunch of hookers or doing blow. Like, what what happened? And they're just like, we, we wish we could tell you. Like, all we can tell you is, like, the type of stroke you had. And it was the lining of um, my left pica artery. Uh, the lining separated from itself and created a valve, shutting off the blood flow to my brain. Um you know, the whole left side of my body was paralyzed. It was classic stroke, but yeah. face droop, mush wow. mouth, um, wild shit. And, uh, you know, the, one of the, I, you know, again, not funny, but I always do the tongue in cheek thing. Cause I like to describe life as either a tragedy or a comedy and I'd rather laugh. So, um, you know, one, one, one of the days my doctor came in and they were like, you know, you're, you did all, you know, looking through your brain scans and all this stuff. And, uh, do you know where all this older brain damage came from? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've got a good idea of where all that older brain damage came from. And I was just like, you gotta be shitting me. Like, you know, just another, you know, again, going to be throwing a little shade here. Just another thing the VA missed. I mean, just uh, uh, another like, uh, not gonna not gonna go there because it doesn't really do anyone any good to to start bitching about that stuff. But um, just looking at all the medical stuff and the takeaways, there were there were warning signs, and I was getting the help. But there's you know this despite sometimes in some situations you're gonna have. Uh, the warning signs, you're going to be getting help. You're going to have medical professionals helping you and going through all these procedures and everything. And you're still going to have bad shit happen to me and, or happen to you. And I, I think that's kind of just what happened to me. Um, you know, people have asked me like, you know, maybe, maybe you should look into, you know, doing a lawsuit with medical malpractice. And I was just like, good God, like, no, like, I don't want to do that. I feel like I'll have another stroke. <laughs> um, and it, it was just kind of like, you know, all, all I can really do is move forward. If I'm not going to get any answers as to why it happened or, and I'm not going to get any help from the VA or get it service connected because I'm still working on that. Um, there's just a, a sense of, of peace that I have to be able to instill in myself because if I don't do that, I will drive myself mental trying to yeah. point a finger yep. like, and, yep. and what it's not going to get me anywhere. It's going to eventually come around right at me. Yeah. So, um, all I can do now is, you know, take care of myself the same way I've, I've always been doing um you know after the stroke i i dived into doing some keto i did some like um gut correcting stuff i you know i stopped drinking alcohol for like a year and a half and then i slowly worked back in wine and then vodka and then i'm able to drink beers now without getting a bloated gut like mm. um it, yeah it was just like things like that i you know, i just started taking care of myself better um, like I love food and overeating to me is probably like the, one of the worst things you can do. Like it's, it's just as bad as binge drinking in, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, just being able to 
figure those things out, I think it would be huge for a lot of people. Cause I think a lot of people, they have all these experiences throughout their life where they, you know, kind of like in my book, like, Oh, it'll buff out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like not everything in life buffs out and, and some things that, um, you know, it'll buff out implies that things will eventually get better and, and and things do, but there's always buffing that needs to be done. There's always like going back to that. You, you realize there's a need, there's a change that needs to be made, but are you, are you hoping for that change or are you actively working towards it? And it's okay to do both, Yeah, but you have to put in that work. It's all about putting in the work. It's going through all of the hard shit you don't want to. It's like all those guys out there that want to go and do, you know, gangster shit, want to go do hood rat shit with the boys. You can't just go out and do that. Like there's, there's all the stupid training that you have to do. You have to do the stupid 5am wake ups and be to the armory at zero four fuck nuts. And you have to do all that stupid shit to be able to go and do the cool stuff. Right. And it's the same way with with even all the small things. Like you want to be anxiety free. You want to be happy. There's nothing in this world that's going to do that besides the work you put into yourself. And man, you know, that, that should be a huge takeaway as well from the book, because, you know, there, there was a period of time in there where, you know, I was, I was hoping I was doing a whole lot of hoping. And wishing everybody else would put the work in for me, right? Taking all those pills, trying to take a pill to solve the migraines, get rid of my migraines, get me back on my feet, get me back in the gym. None of that shit worked. None of it worked. I had to go outside of all that and put the work in to be able to be where I am today. And I think that's a, that should be a huge takeaway. What do you think men need? I know that's a broad question, but l- I'm asking it because, yeah, I, I just, I feel like you've had a prototypical male experience, but I think there's also a lot of stuff you've come through that I think you might have some good insight on that. So looking at men writ large right mm-hmm. now, what what does that mean? What, what, do, what do men really need? What's important for a man to do and to be, to be a man? Hmm. <clears throat> um, growing up in a in a religious household, seeing a lot of a lot of guys in church, and um, you know, there's there's kind of uh, whatever else say it. There's like a stereotypical Christian dude, right? Mm-hmm kind of, kind of nerdy, kind of, you know, whatever. Um, I was, I was fortunate. Yeah. I had all those nerdy Christian dudes, but I also had this, this guy in our church who was a former Navy SEAL and he was, I mean, sleeved out. Um, just a, just a, a guy that back in the nineties, it was like, Whoa, like you are way out of place, bro. And little, little old Wisconsin. (laughs) Um, so I, I was kind of able to see that uh, you don't have to fit these molds to be uh, 
a man or to be a, a Christian or to be whatever. Um, I think a lot of people want to um, pigeonhole themselves and kind of and be a part of this. We all want a tribe and to be part of this tribe, you have to um, get an emo haircut and wear mm. thick black rimmed glasses and, and grow out a, a beard and only smoke or only drink you know lattes or whatever you know it's like stuff stuff like that and it was kind of one of those things like growing up where i i realized like you don't have to you don't have to do that like you can be who you want to be um but as far as like what men need like what is missing today that that was there when i was a kid um and even growing up through this i i kind of i mean man like the, the childhood of a kid in the eighties and the nineties was the shit. Like we had it so good. It, it, it was awesome. It was pre-internet. And then we had the internet, we had Nintendo, all like all sorts of cool stuff. We had amazing movies, like some of the best movies that have ever been made came out in that time frame. And I'm talking Indiana Jones and star Wars, the Goonies, um, back to the future, like just these great, adventure movies and what's what's a good adventure movie it's the the hero's journey and um you you escape and i think they purposely use you escape the old world and go into this new world because that's what a lot of people are looking for they're looking for an escape they're looking for an escape from their regular old life going to freaking high school and, and all this stupid shit and now we have to read the odyssey you're looking for an escape. And what's this escape? Well, for most people, it's something that you shouldn't be using for an escape, you know, especially yeah. at a young age. Yeah. Um, and am I guilty of it? Hell yeah. I, I drink. I smoked back in high school, just like, you know, 90% of everyone else. Um, not condoning it, not saying it, it makes it right, but you're going to try to find these escapes. And if you know, there were more healthy, healthier outlets for these escapes. You know, I think there would be uh, a, a greater sense of what a, a man or even, I mean, this goes for boys and girls. I mean, everybody needs to have these challenges in their lives that, that you come out the other side and you're, you grow from it. You're a better person. Um, just like in all these movies that we grew up with, right? The, you have this escape, you go on this grand adventure. And you live to tell the tale and everybody lives happily ever after. Uh, so, but what does that look like? Like what could these escapes look like as um, you know, we're talking about this and you, you know, studying history and, you know, going back to the, like the movies and all that, these escapes are like catastrophes. Like you have um like your your home planet planet of Alderaan explodes and and now you're mm -hmm. thrust into this great intergalactic battle um obviously nobody's home planet's about to explode um these escapes usually just turn into uh drug alcohol fueled um expeditions and nothing is is gain from it unless if you have such a horrific uh a, a drug overdose or a really bad trip right. if you're using hallucinogens or 
you get your stomach pumped because you have alcohol poisoning, you know, maybe that might be a catalyst for, for change and growth, but that's a really shitty experience to have to enact any change in growth. So, um, there's, and this is kind of a, a cop out, but it really is true. And what I saw with being a, a teacher for just a short, short amount of time was I got into coaching track and field and, you know, sports I think are, are huge and, and yeah, I, I get it. Not everybody's into sports. Um, there's, there's theater. I mean, you know, that rep theater, all that stuff, there, there's, there's the arts, there's, um, there's writing, there's so many outlets that you can go through to, to achieve these challenges without having to go to war or having your home planet blow up or, you know, something extreme like that. There's ways to be able to challenge yourself and, and achieve that growth without drugs or alcohol, without having some catastrophic thing happen or, or losing a family member. You, like growth and change are achievable without having cataclysm catastrophes happening um but where a lot of it gets lost is um coming back to where tatted out navy steel in my church he wasn't afraid to come to church because he didn't look like a nerdy christian dude um and conversely we you know, we accepted them with open arms. Um, and there's a lot of people I think that will, you know, for me, I, I've, I've always loved reading. I, you know, I've never been shy about that. But when it came to being a writer and, you know, telling people that, it, you know, I, I, at first it, it felt awkward. It, it did. Like, it was like, yeah, you know, like, I'm kind of right. I do some stuff. And then, you know, they, they, they like, like most dudes busting your balls like oh you read poetry then like yeah i yeah I've, yeah <laughs> i've done some poetry and it's like people have these stereotypes and and all all for all sorts of things i mean it's not just the the big things like physical appearances and stuff like that but it's um you know, writers, you know, you, you, oh, you write like, oh, you're in touch with your feelings too. And you're going to go like pick flowers. It's like, yeah, I actually enjoy gardening too. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's still like, I'm still a combat hardened Marine. Uh, you know, you gotta, you, you have, you can't forget who you are or who you want to be or who you want to become. Like, because if you remember that and, and you keep that at the, the, as a focus at the core of who you are and who you want to be, it doesn't matter if, if somebody's going to talk shit about you being a writer or if you want right. to be an actor or if you want to go pick flowers, like, or if you're a tatted up Navy SEAL going to, to a, a little church, right. Um, those things shouldn't matter. And, and I don't know if there's a way, you know, and that, I think that comes down to a lot of, of the, somebody's upbringing the schools they're going through i mean there's so much more that goes into it but if people are just okay with having this idea of who they want to be who they know they are and the hell with anyone else trying to throw shade at them for that 
I mean, good things are going to happen. And as soon as I kind of like flipped that switch in my head of, you know what, I've been, you know, fiddle fucking around with writing for so long that, yeah, I have like this little Instagram page following and that's awesome. And I, I and I know I've been helping some people because I get messages and stuff like that. And when I finally flipped that switch and just, you know, like I, I love Stephen Pressfield's work and he says, you just you need to become a professional like quit quit screwing around and just flip that switch become a professional it's just like yes yeah and it's like it's it's time so you you can flip that switch and you can do that at any time you know that goes back to like how can you be happy how can you control your anxiety and all that stuff you do the work got to do the work and only you can only you can do that only you can make yourself happy um so yeah do you think voluntary adventure, like voluntarily going on and seeking out adventure, makes involuntary adventure easier when shit is thrust upon you that you didn't have to choose? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm yeah. taking away from what you said. Like that to me, to me, That's it's a like great that, way to put it. I, I mean, I, well, I had the luxury of just sitting back and listening and being able to <laughs> write it while <laughs> yeah. you were talking. But, but I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, that to me is a really interesting way of approaching resilience that, yeah, it really benefits you to seek out whatever your adventure is, mm-hmm. what that, and, and yeah, and how that can help later in life. Um, I want to ask about the page. So it changed, right? It's now cold steel collective. It was death Walker collective. Yes. Now it's cold. Yeah. Steel collective. Yep. yep. Um, how's that been? Have you enjoyed that? Huh. Or if um, you felt obligated to do it. Yeah, man. Hmm. It's not so much as a. Uh, uh, huh. I guess there is kind of well, the, no. There's like um. There's like a sense of duty almost behind it. Yeah. For me, um, and and it's to, you know, tell the story, um, because. Uh, you know, as soon as we stop talking about it, you know, that's when it's truly forgotten. Yeah. And I, and I don't want people to forget. I want people to remember what, what happened, what was done, what it was like, um, <clears throat> how it turned out, you know, all, all the things that go into it. I want to show all the, the, the funny moments. Um, you know, there, you know, I post all sorts of videos. I post the hardcore combat. I post just a freaking drive through the town. Um, you know, us screwing around back in the barracks. Uh, I got a really funny video of a dude lighting his balls on fire. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I I want to remember it all, and you know, just the just because it was such a, a you know war is hell and everything that goes with it doesn't mean like everything sucked and was god awful every second of the day. Um, yeah, we had those days too, but that's what I want to show people. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I know the guys who are there with me, there's, there's a lot of them who appreciate yeah. me taking the time to put yeah. all that stuff out there. And, you know, I, I do it for them. I, you know, it's do it for the boys. Like they want to see our, their, the memories and everything. They still want to see that stuff um, kept alive. And, and you know what, there are some out there who, who uh, want nothing to do with it. And that's yeah. cool too. Like yeah. I get it. Like yeah. I, like as as a uh, combat veterans, um, 
you know, just from my own personal experience, we go through phases coming out and the phases can last a long time. They can last a short time, but you know, there was, there's a phase that I think most combat vets go through where they just kind of ghost out for a while. Yeah. Um, fall off the face of the earth for a while. And then eventually, you know, sometimes they come back, they'll, they'll just dip their toe in for a little bit and be like, yo, what's up? And you know, you know, we're good. We're living out here now doing this. And it's just like, cool, man. Well, until next time, see you on the flip. And it's yeah. just, um, you know, that that's happened a lot. I, I, I did it. I, I ghosted out. I had a, a couple of times where it was, you know, I, it was probably one of the times after I tried sitting down to write, um, another version of the manuscript where it was just like, you know what, like, fuck all this. Like, I I want anything to do with it. I want to try to forget everything. Um, you know, I had a hard drive with a whole bunch of uh, videos and pictures and, um, I just remember it like it crashed and, you know, there, there is something I could have done to like taken into the geek squad or something like that, or tried to get it recovered. And I was just like, screw it. Like I just didn't want to, didn't want to deal with it anymore. And, you know, I, I thought that maybe by getting rid of this would help with getting rid of that up here. And yeah, you know, it, it, it doesn't work. That goes back to being kind of naive and not mm-hmm. really, <clears throat> trying to deal with shit on your own. Um, well, let me ask you this. Do you, mm-hmm. is there any sense that by running the page, staying current, like continually feeding out material that it's hard to let that stuff go in uh in a good way because you have to keep staying in that past. So it's hard to move forward because there's mm-hmm. an obligation to stay in the past. And if that's the, I mean, well, let me just ask that. Is that, is there any validity to that? Does it make it at all hard for you to stay in the present or move forward because you are spending a significant amount of your bandwidth looking back or in the past? I used to, Mm. I used to, um, finally being able to get this, this book done and getting that out has really, um, I'm not reliving the past as much as I have taken a step back and I'm observing it mm. from kind of a detached sense. Like I, I, you know, obviously I have all the personal feels and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'm able to really kind of take a step back and be like, Oh, especially now with um, so many of these, uh, this dude, Carter Malkasian, I don't know if I'm probably butchering his last name, but Carter Malkasian, Malkasian, M-A-L-K-A-S-I-A-N. He is a historian and he has just absolutely amazing books done on um uh he he wrote an entire book about Garmser Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book called Illusions of Victory, which is basically um an overview of the Battle of Ramadi and everything going on around in Iraq at that time. It's it, great freaking book um and then he has another like all-encompassing afghanistan book so we're going through his stuff and and being able to like read about our unit and be like oh my god like you we being boots on the ground you don't have the overarching scope of things going on especially being like one company's here another 
two companies are over here and they're, they can't even see each other. So being able to like, kind of, you're starting to piece a whole lot more together and being like, Oh, like, that's why we went here instead of, you know, like just uh, stuff like that. Yeah. So being able to um, have this first book done and just having that been that, that monkey on my back for so long. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was definitely guilty of, you know, being stuck in the past. Um, and I, and I, and I, I, in a way I was running away from completing the book because I, I, I knew I had to do it. And it was one of those things where it was like, I, I said to the boys, like, I told the guys, I'm going to do this. Like, mm. you know, in, in yeah. a way, yeah. you know, I have, a, I have a duty to them to tell the story. Cause it was like, it was always like, yeah, Pruitt's writing a book on this, like Pruitt's mm. writing a book. And then I'd be asked like, how's the book coming along? And I'd just be like, oh yeah, that thing. Um, yep. Going great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. uh, so there, there, you know, just a lot, a lot there. Um, but, but now with that done, dude, like being able to step back and, and I can, and you know, one of my favorite writing exercises I just kind of do with myself is I'll just pick a picture, just scroll through my pictures of, and I'm trying to keep everything Iraq focused up until yeah. the, the book launch. And then yeah. I'm going to dive, dive in hard to Afghanistan and all that stuff. Um, but I'll just pick a picture and I'll just be like, what can I, what can I write? Like what, what comes to mind when I see this, like what was going on yeah. in, in Ramadi when this happened and and what can I put into words so people can be like, Oh damn. Wow. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Um, so that just having that ability, um, is something that also is very applicable to, to other things in life. Um, you know, being able to step back and, and observe from a, a detached perspective sometimes can, can make great things happen. Um, and you can let it go, right? Once you write the book, you're not, mm-hmm. you're, you're not tethered to it any as, or as much anymore. At least there you've kind of said your piece and now it's yeah. like, it's out there. It did its yep. job and you can now free up your bandwidth, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. Jared, tell everybody where, how they need to follow you. Cause they should be following you if they're not already. Oh, um, thank you. Um, so I, I'm on Instagram at cold steel collective, um, between cold steel collective, there's an underscore in between there. So you can, um, follow me there. Uh, I just relaunched my website. It's www.jaredpruittwritestuff.com, and that's linked on the Instagram page. So uh, you can find me there. Book release details are going to be coming soon. Um, again, that's it'll buff out, and then uh, that should be coming out this September, sometime this September. It's uh, right around the time we actually deployed to Ramadi around that time. So I'm trying to be able to coincide the, that and the book launch. So. Are you, yeah. Is the best place to know about the book launch that could be through Instagram or is it going to be, is there a newsletter that you're putting out or anything through the website? Um, I, I, I would love to start a newsletter. No, 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 not I to make you do work. 
but uh no it was funny because when i when i relaunched it i had i had it up and going for a while and then um i just got got busy because moving and all that so i i just you know put it on the back burner for a while and then when i relaunched it i'm going through it and i found uh an email list <laughs> i have like 20 people on the email oh, list crap. already yeah. i'm like whoa like i didn't even know that i didn't even know i had that set up so um yeah I, it's funny you said that because i was like yeah i could do like a newsletter and <laughs> so but so yeah so they're you know coming down coming down the pipe uh newsletter yeah and then uh but the best way is uh instagram i i have a yeah. there's a facebook page too but um it's so much easier to yeah. create content through instagram yeah. like it's it's really cool so I, I i try to put some stuff on facebook um so it's still active and all that so i i'll, I'll be putting up details there too so at cold steel collective for both of them um okay. yeah and i mean when obviously when that comes out you know send me stuff and we'll we'll be pushing it on our end too because i think that's cool. that's something Thank that you. everybody should should buy and support and read um because it Thank is a you. fascinating fascinating account dude uh this was an absolute pleasure um to be continued thank you thank you same that was jared pruitt's profile in havoc um i feel i hope his humility his earnestness his his diligence his intelligence um came through. I always say that because when we do video, you know, we have videos going because we're doing this on zoom often. So I'm able to see him and you guys aren't. And yes, I know we should add video to the podcast. I know, I know, I know when I get a little bit more time and bandwidth, uh, I'm sure we will. But in the meantime, without you guys being able to see him, I, I, to me, I feel like his words, you know, paint enough of a picture, but um, certainly being able to watch him and hear him at the same time. Uh, I just couldn't have a bigger heart for this dude. Uh, he's just a great fucking guy. And um, yeah, as I said, an incredibly worthwhile and valuable profile and havoc. And uh, I can't wait for you guys to read the book. It is, it's, um, it's a slobber knocker, as John Madden would say. I mean, it's, uh, you know, a lot of very, what's the right word? Nuanced moments told bluntly. Or blunt moments told with nuance. How's that? Um, anyway, so it'll be great for everyone else to read it. Um, I'm grateful that I was able to. And um, yeah, just a great time talking with them. Okay, uh, we start out this episode by talking about our episode's first sponsor, Second Mission Foundation. I'll now take a second to thank this episode's second sponsor, which is, of course, Veterans Repertory Theater. For those of you who don't know, Veterans Repertory Theater is my nonprofit, so a little bit of self-serving plug here, but be that as it may, let me tell you what you should know about VetRep. So Veterans Repertory Theater is a tax-exempt nonprofit 501c3 organization, which provides a platform for talented veterans who are professional, not hobbyists, but talented veterans to create compelling live theater and events. That's what VetRep exists to do. It is the home for veterans in the live performance arts. We are not here for hobbyists. We are not here to help veterans. We are veterans that are here to help audiences enjoy a better, more badass, more dynamic 
live performance, whether it's our immersive art shows, whether it's our straight theater, or whether it's anything in between. Um, that's what we are here to do. Check out everything going on at VetRep at VetRep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, VetRep.org. And while you're there, probably the best thing to do right now is to go and sign up for the Savage Wonder Literary Blog. It is a free subscription um, just on the homepage at VetRep.org. Scroll down the page just a little bit, and you will see the option to subscribe to the blog for free. And that means that every day you will get a little piece of veteran writing, sometimes poetry, sometimes creative nonfiction, sometimes fiction, in your email inbox And then we follow it with a bunch of shameless plugs about stuff that we have going on. And we have a lot of stuff going on. But you'll get that every day so you'll know exactly what is going on at VetRep. So go to VetRep.org. Again, VetRep, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, VetRep.org. Okay, on that note, I need to thank our producer, Mike Neal, for churning out this episode. As always, at the 11th hour, um, I deeply appreciate his grace, good humor, and patience as we uh, as we get these episodes out to you guys. Um, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. On behalf of everyone at Havoc Journal, see you next time for another Profile in Havoc. <laughs>